Uh, good morning. Hello. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> my name is Zach Gates. Uh, I'm the director of Next Steps here at Trinity Green Trails. Uh, very excited that you're here. If it's your first time with us, uh, welcome. And if it, you've been coming for a while, thanks for coming back. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, we're in this series called Starting New. We're looking at the essential relationships of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about our upward relationship with God. Uh, last week, we talked about our in relationship with those here in the church and with fellow believers. And this week, we're looking at our out relationship, our missional relationship with the world and those who do not yet know Jesus or the gospel. So that's where we're at today. Uh, before we dive in a little bit into that, I would love to pray for us. So uh, would you please pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story of Peter that is very applicable to every single one of us. I pray that you open up uh, our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say. And please bless us as we continue to focus on this outward relationship and being a part of your kingdom work. In your name we pray, amen. Cool. So um, we're talking about mission, our uh, relationship with the world, uh, starting new with mission. And as we're refocusing and thinking about these relationships, uh, thinking about the idea of mission or evangelism could conjure up certain images in our minds. You might think of people who've gone on mission trips uh, all the way across the world and spent a week or a couple of days in a third world country of some sort, or people going from door to door, uh, people like on my drive home, there's somebody who has a sign over the overpass that says, repent or you're going to hell. Um, if you've uh, uh, been on a college campus before, you might have gotten some kind of fire and brimstone sermon like that, uh, or teaching like that as you're walking around. It's happened to me before. Um, otherwise, too, uh, that's kind of things we think of within the church, right? And then without the church or outside of the church, we might get some ideas of cultural imperialism, of insensitivity, um, thoughts of, for me, uh, this brings up the idea of the residential schools in Canada and some parts of the United States where um, indigenous Native American children were taken from their homes at really, really young ages from their families and um, brought into these schools to Christianize them. And their hair was cut off. Uh, they were abused physically and sexually. And over the summer, there was nearly a couple thousand bodies of these students and kids found underneath the schools and the walls of the schools. It's a horrible story. And I want to just clarify really quick that this is not evangelism and this is not what mission looks like. We really need to refresh ourselves and to go back to basics as to what mission looks like and what sharing good news looks like. That is not good news, what we just heard, what we're about to hear, and what we see Jesus doing is good news. So let's go back to those basics and talk a little bit more about what being on mission means. It means sharing the gospel. Being on mission, we go and we share the gospel with others. The gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which was this idea that good news would be shared. And this is usually a royal pronouncement of some sort of magnitude within a kingdom. Maybe a royal child was born or a battle was won and someone would go and euangelion or share the euangelion at these towns and let the people know about this good news of the kingdom that's kind of shaped the world and maybe the trajectory of the future going forward. So that's 
euangelion, and that's good news, and this is what it means to go on mission, is to share that good kingdom news. And Jesus kind of appropriated this language. Uh, he said, I'm bringing the good news of my kingdom here. I'm bringing the good news of the gospel here into this world, and my kingdom is different than this one. But this language made sense to the people at the time, and it's still relevant for us now. So when we pray things like the Lord's Prayer and we pray for your kingdom come, we're praying that the euangelion of Jesus, that the gospel good news of his kingdom come into the world through us uh, personally and then out into the world through us, God using us as his instruments to share the good news. And before we go forward, I, I, I want to invite you into the narrative of scripture because as one author, his name's Henry Nouwen, has put it that salvation uh, and uh, your relationship with Jesus has um, maybe been very personalized and individualized and privatized. And that's part of our culture, right? Uh, we've grown increasingly individualistic over time. And he wrote this back in the 70s. That was an observation of his back then. Imagine what he would have to say now. Uh, and I bring this up for the sake of being, being individualized and privatized disconnects us from others who have experienced what we've experienced. It connects us from the grander narrative of scripture as a whole, of what God has been up to since the beginning of time and what he's gonna continue doing in the future. And we are not alone in that process. And connecting us to the story is a great way to kind of figure out that purpose that we do have as followers of Jesus. So I wanna start with this idea, let's look at our world, right? We can think of good things in our world. For me, I think of relationships. I think of being outdoors. I think of um, movies or books or art, food, anything that's good here in the world. That's something that comes to mind. But we know very quickly that if we turn on the news or we hop onto social media, that we see these kind of effects in the world, that we understand the world is broken maybe individually in things like broken relationships. Um, there's injustice that we see, natural disasters and violence, right? Um, but this is not the way that it was designed. This is not how it was done. Originally, we were created in the garden in perfect harmony with God, uh, and his creation narrative culminates with uh, mankind being made in his image. Prior to mankind's creation, we see God giving order to the chaos, creatively loving and bringing life into the world, and then he commands us to live in his image. We're made in his image. We do those same things as well. Um, we live in community with one another. The Trinity is perpetually in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just like man and woman and our world is in community. And beyond that as well, we're, we're called to um, subdue the world. And that word in the Hebrew means to bring out the full potential, to cultivate the world as well. And that's what it means to be image bearers, right? And then the fall happens. This is what changes everything. Once the fall happens, where um, sin enters into the world, sin is a big churchy word, just like evangelize or mission. And sin is taking kind of our will back as if the creator of the universe didn't know what he was doing, giving us the boundaries that he gave us to live in, designing us the way that we were designed. And we say no, that uh, we can eat from that fruit and we can live the way that we choose. And that's that sin sickness that kind of lives in our hearts that we all know and understand to some extent and have seen it play out in the world, bringing in our lives these sorts of um, symptoms of sin, broken relationships, disease, etc. And beyond the personal, there's the world 
that um, experiences these things. Natural disasters, right, those are not intended. They're symptoms. Uh, disease, death, all of this is what comes from sin. And then we are expelled from the garden. Uh, we're exiled from the garden and we're cut off from God and we're cut off from one another because of the way that sin works in our lives. And then this enters the world, it clouds the world, and that is kind of where we find ourselves. But God had other intentions. He certainly could have left us and left things the way that they were, but he sent his son Jesus into the world. And Jesus comes into the world to bring that sort of healing that we see him do in his ministry. There's broken relationships, he's bringing love. Where there's injustice, he's bringing justice. And he's advocating for it. He calms the storms, he brings life out of death. We see him undoing all of the symptoms and uh, consequences of the fall. And as he's doing his ministry, more and more people gather around him. People are attracted to what he's doing who wouldn't be psyched about seeing a miracle. Uh, and the community grows and grows, but then he dies, and nobody expects this. Nobody understands that the Messiah, that Jesus, or God, is supposed to die. However, he dies because he takes all of that onto himself. He takes all of the sin, all of the brokenness and the sickness of everything we've done, of what everyone else has done, and what everyone else will do in the future and has done in the past, onto himself so that we can have that union with God once more. And then we, as followers of Jesus, are invited to participate into that story. We have right relationship with God now because of what Jesus has done. He's entered into our world. He's done what's called the incarnation. He's incarnated himself. He made himself a baby that had to be dependent on a father and a mother, and he grew up in his community and was raised by humans, and he goes out and he brings us into the world, connects us to God through his death, and his resurrection. And in his resurrection, the truth that we know, because he appeared to so many other people, we follow him now. We're followers of Jesus. We're his disciples. And we go out into the world, and we do as he did. We bring and we undo all of the sin consequences that we do see. And that's why it's so important to focus on the story of Peter, right? Peter is a human being just like us, he has a big ego, uh, especially if you watch The Chosen, you know that he has a massive ego. And Jesus incarnates himself into Peter's life. He goes into the boat with him. He goes to work with him and he gets to know him and he invites him into a relationship where he says, come and follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. He doesn't tell him to go cleanse or pray or to be perfect. He invites him immediately and Peter follows him. And that's in his context, that's in his home, that's in his work, it's in his day-to-day -day relationships. And then we see this other story, this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is on the road as a follower of Jesus who's seen him from the resurrection and following him undoing those things in the world. And there's a man reading a scroll, the book of Isaiah, and the spirit leads him to go over and ask, what's going on, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, no, how could I? Because I don't have anybody to explain it to me. He's reading a unique passage about the suffering of the Messiah, and he's wondering, who is this person? Is it the writer, or is it someone else? And then Philip goes ahead and explains that good news that we just heard about the story of Scripture, how the world has fallen, and how this Messiah figure is going to come and redeem us and save us, not only us, but the world at large. And he's so uh, compelled by the story and moved by the gospel and good news of Philip being out on mission and evangelizing that he's baptized right then and there. This is happening in our day-to-day, -day, in our local context, 
in what we're doing in the mundane and in the simple. A lot of people think that they need to go do something grand or something far away. And I, I love this quote from Lee Strobel. It says, I've seen far too many Christians who are more than willing to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage, but who cannot bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with the coworker who sits day after day in the cubicle right next to them. Mission happens in the day-to-day and in the mundane. Um, there's uh, uh, this um, saint, his name's Brother Lawrence, and he was a cook at a monastery, and he wrote a cool book called The Practice of the Presence of God, and in that he talks about how he can flip an egg and feel God's love and experience, right? So that's something that we bring into our day-to-day and our, in our kind of simple living. It does not take anything grand. It happens in what we're doing moment to moment in our jobs and in uh, our relationships and anything that we're involved in. Um, that's where we can be and are on mission. Like Peter and Philip, we're open to those opportunities and listening. And I think this is really important too because, um, you know, speaking to that disconnectedness that we might feel to the story or purposelessness that we might feel as individualized followers of Jesus, there was an article that was written about um, by, this, by this girl who had gone on a, a mission trip and built a school, and years later she comes to realize that the villagers of the, the, um, where the school was being built would come in and undo and redo all of the work that they did overnight because the work they did was so terrible. And she's reckoning with this, this guilt of like, I was totally there for just me. This isn't something that I felt like I could do in my context. I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it here and at home. I had to go somewhere else. And for her, she came to this realization that that was about ego. And I want to walk the line of this is not a bad thing to do, but it's not compartmentalized. We don't only go there. We go there and we are here. This is what it means to be on mission. And there are a lot of things that people maybe believe or don't believe or feel ill-equipped for in regards to mission. And I want to talk to you about three important truths about going out onto mission. And the first uh, is that we do not need to be perfect. We do not need to be perfectly ready. Uh, We don't need any sort of training. We don't need any sort of degree. Those are very specific calls to certain people. There are plenty of people that I know who have gotten to know Jesus and who can share their their experience of meeting him and sharing what that was like over some sort of theological transaction. Relationships and experience and sharing stories matter. And that's where we can feel equipped to go out on mission. I remember um, there was one point in my life where I was incredibly lost and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was kind of at this low point and a friend of mine asked me to come work at summer camp with him. And I was like, I don't think that I should be taking care of kids and talking to them about the Bible this week. Um, and he didn't laugh at all. He looked at me and he went, well, Paul killed people, right? And that's a bold thing to say, but it's true. The author of most of the New Testament had murdered people before, right? So that's something that we can kind of take in mind. It's something that was incredibly helpful for me in terms of leveling the playing field, that we don't need to be perfect or feel perfectly ready. We do not need to be perfect in results. Um, It's not going to go as smooth as we think, right? Some people may not be willing to hear what we have to say. We might not feel confident and psych ourselves out saying something along the lines of, I don't think they'll listen. I'm very afraid. I shouldn't share this. I shouldn't be vulnerable or get too personal. And there certainly is room for discernment in that process. However, sometimes um, we might psych ourselves out or sometimes people might not be as open and receptive. And that's okay. Jesus sends the disciples out. He says, you're going to encounter this 
If anybody doesn't want to hear what you have to say, shake the dust off your feet and let's move on to the next one because there are plenty of people in the world who are suffering and broken. I would say all the people in the world are suffering and broken in some capacity. And Jesus says to move on. And you never know about the idea of persistence, right? That might turn somebody away from wanting to listen to you and you don't know what seeds have been planted that could be something that opens the door in the future when someone is ready to hear that good news. Or let's not even focus on us. Whatever God is doing in terms of outcome and results, that could be done through somebody else other than us. God is totally working through you and what you have to say, whether you see results or not. And that's a cultural thing that we need to think about breaking and revisit. And then to add, we don't need to be perfect in practice, right? Um, Let's focus on Peter, the guy who this story is about. Peter uh, was called by Jesus, and his name was Simon, but they called him Peter because he's going to be the cornerstone of the church. And just a couple uh, stories later in the story of Jesus, uh, Jesus calls Peter Satan uh, because he's getting in the way of Jesus' mission. So Peter has that on his name. Uh, He goes forward and he goes to deny Jesus three times when Jesus is most lonely after saying he never would do such a thing. Peter's not perfect in practice. And even after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he goes and Paul recounts the story of Peter saying, no, Jew and Gentile need to sit at different tables. But what did we just learn about the story of God's kingdom? That binds everybody. Peter got a little racist at a moment and he separated everybody. Paul's like, no, that's not what we're about. Our kingdom is whole, it's one and it's unified. There is no right or wrong person to be at a table together. So this is Peter, the cornerstone of the church, the first pope, Uh, he was not perfect in practice and we do not need to put that burden on ourselves. The gospel's liberating. God's gonna work in the world uh, regardless of how we perform or not. So we don't need to be perfect. It's gonna be difficult. Uh, More often than not, doing mission is gonna take you out of your comfort zone. If you're like me, this kind of happens in a couple of ways. When I get home from work and I sit down, I do not wanna get up and I do not wanna answer the phone, and I don't wanna do anything beyond what I'm doing in my little comfort bubble. But sometimes I need to do that, right? More often than not, I need to do that. More often than not, it's better for me. And then to add to that as well, we might be talking to somebody that we're not familiar with, who's entirely different from us. We might be talking to someone who we've been friends with for a long time, and they don't know Jesus, or are just starting to kind of get together and understand that idea or explore, and we make ourselves vulnerable. It's difficult sometimes to talk about this but we do talk about it because we as people of God understand the significance of it, A, and then how it's affected us personally, B. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna push our boundaries a little bit and it will feel uncomfortable and that's okay. And then going out, this is the most important thing I'd like to kind of convey. Going out is a response to Jesus. I wanna reiterate, what does Jesus not do when he invites Peter to come follow him? He does not say, go perfect yourself, go change that one thing about you and then you can follow me. Clean your act up a little bit and then we can move forward. Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinner. He's very aware of his presence, uh, that he's in the presence of God and that he's got this brokenness that he's contributed to the world and that he carries with himself. He knows that he's got a shadow side and Jesus enters into it anyway. This is the spiritual incarnation that happens in each of our lives. We've got these dirty, dark places that we don't want God to get into. And when Jesus comes in, when we accept 
our acceptance by the Savior, that's where room is made for Jesus to come and transform your lives. You become sanctified. You enter the process of theosis, becoming more like God by letting God in and acknowledging and accepting our dark sides. Going out as a response to Jesus. Jesus accepts and loves us, and we go out and share that. And we can do that in the freedom and liberation of God loves me no matter what. How do I know? Well, he called Peter. He called all of these imperfect people to contribute to his mission. So going out is a response to Jesus. So to get a little practical, um, ways that we can kind of go out from here, whether we feel ready or not, things to consider, we can pray for those around us and look to see where God is calling you. Prayer is an ongoing thing. It's about openness and continued communication with God. And when we're in these places where we might consider doing mission, where there's someone who's on our hearts that we're paying attention to, as we're paying attention, we can give that to God and God can respond. And by conversing with him in our up relationship, by conversing with others in our in relationship in the church, we can have a little more discernment around this and how do we move forward and connect with people. We can start conversations then and share our stories. So starting conversations is a big deal because, you know, we just get to get vulnerable with people. We get to talk with people and share our stories and that personal transformative experience. To continue the kind of process, I guess, uh, or continue the story that I was sharing with you about working at that camp that one week, uh, God paired me with, with a, a little boy named Abraham who came from an abusive home. And we clicked and we connected and it, I was so humbled by the fact that God used me during that week because I did not feel equipped to do so. As I was sharing about this at the end of the week, an old friend and mentor of mine comes in. Uh, I hadn't seen him in years. And he goes, heard you guys were here. I wanted to uh, say hi while I was in town. Um, and he came in and I told him about how lost I felt and how uh, wrong and ashamed I feel about how my life has been and decisions that I'd been making. And he just grabs me by my shoulders and he said, you're loved and you're forgiven. God loves you and he forgives you. And as I'm crying <laughs> and as I'm feeling this weight of what God is doing, that's when I got it, right? That was when God loved me in my lowest moments and he came in and I was not perfect after that. And that's why I wanna to get to the next one. We need to make mistakes and trust God. We never know what it is that we're gonna do along the way that is imperfect or improper, but we have to know that God's gonna work it out regardless. We can have that freedom to make mistakes. It is not gonna look perfect like we said. We can trust that God is going to work things out in our lives. We can trust that God is gonna use our mistakes to grow us and to help us become more like him. And as we root ourselves in our communities, as we work and live in our contexts around us with our friends, family, co-workers, whoever it might be, uh, we can trust that, you know, we're not going to do it well, not perfectly, but God is calling us to share this anyway. We never know what he is going to be doing. So as we enter into this narrative and we leave here today being contributors to what's going on in the story of God, people who are bringing that kingdom uh, into the world, who are sharing the gospel and undoing uh, all of the, the consequences of sin and brokenness that exist in our world, I want to remind you of this prayer of St. Francis. I'm going to read it to you and just look at the different ways that the, um, the writer of the prayer, St. Francis, kind of undoes the bad news here. So he says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Use me to bring your peace into the world. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. 
where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. There's a lot of language in there about undoing. And as, again, we go forward from here, we understand that as people and followers of Jesus, that we are attuned to these sorts of broken things in the world. And that we, as people who follow the incarnate God who entered into our souls and entered into our world, that we enter into other people's life to bring that good news as well. Will you pray with me?